0: Thank you for joining us on The Big Idea Show. I'm Michael Anderson, and today we have Jason Pridmore on the program, a legend in motorcycle racing. He's going to be our feature interview. Thank you for joining us. We hope to make the next 30 minutes a very good investment of your time. And today's show is brought to you by GEICO Local Office. For car and homeowners insurance, you could save up to 15%. Call Greg Mock of GEICO Local Office, 805-487-7847. Welcome to the program. We have Jason Pridmore in studio with us today. And Jason has been a professional motorcycle racer for many years. He retired a few years back and still in the sport, helping it grow in many ways. He raced for 22 years, had 21 championships in racing, a huge sport in Europe, and a growing sport here in the United States. Definitely a treat to have you in studio. Thank you for joining us, Jason.
1: Thanks, Mike. You and I have talked about this a lot over the years to do this, so I'm happy to be here.
0: Well, it's great. It's a sport that a lot of people are not familiar with growing up in Southern California. You know, I appreciate the sport, sometimes see it on TV, but I didn't have that much of an understanding about the sport. For people not familiar with motorcycle
1: road racing,
0: give us maybe just a little backdrop. What What is the sport and what what is it for people that might not know?
1: Yeah, motorcycle road racing uh, here in America has never been at the forefront like so many stick and ball sports like we've had here in America. We're, we're addicted to football and baseball, basketball. But road racing over in Europe is, I think it's second to soccer. Uh, the MotoGP World Championship, which is in its final round this weekend, it will be seen all over the all over Europe, all over the world. It's a, it's a money-making machine, and those guys are obviously getting paid a lot of money, real athletes. In America, we had a time where it was like that, but road racing is at closed circuits. Uh, we have some of the best racetracks in the world here in America. The series that I ran at the time was AMA Superbike, and now it's Moto America. Uh, is the name of the championship now, but there's tracks at Laguna Seca up in Monterey. That's kind of a famous one. Everybody always asks me about, hey, have you ever raced at Laguna Seca? And that was a place that I used to be at every single year. So it's usually a 10 or 12 race series and it's for points and there's n- numerous different kinds of classes. And that's kind of what the sport's all about. It's uh, It's definitely getting back and it's growing over here in America again now. It it is a great sport,
0: like any sport. And in addition to now, essentially you're doing commentary, you have a podcast. And I want to mention a few things for people that might want to learn more about this sport or follow Jason. You can follow him social on Twitter. It's at JP43. Instagram is Pridmore43. And the website is jp43training.com. So that's another thing that you're doing now in addition to the sport you're helping train. So anyone could get some training and ride on the track and learn some safety skills but also some just you know, skills to enhance their riding or get a thrill or be on a track. Tell us about some of the training that you do and people that might sign up for that.
1: You know, I was very lucky. I grew up in a road racing family. My parents immigrated from England in the 60s. My dad wanted to come over here and race motorcycles for a living, and he did. And so I I was fortunate that I grew up in this environment. And then my dad started running motorcycle schools when I was younger. So I would help him with those kind of things. And when I got signed to race for Suzuki in 97, they kind of approached me about starting my own my own program. Back then there wasn't as many programs, Mike, as there are now. Now there's a lot of different types of track days and things that you can go to. But I created a little bit of a niche because I was doing schools for big groups of people, 50 and 60 people, two-day events. And one of the things that I always found is that people wanted that one-on-one interaction a lot more. So when we started JP43 training, it was based off the concept of being able to go to a racetrack and getting training from the best guys that you can and have that person with you all day right next to you, looking through videos of yourself and that kind of thing. So we can take anybody from, I get young racers that want to develop into seeing where they can go in the sport. And I get middle-aged guys that have been riding for 20 and 30 years that just want to get that feeling of something that they read that their motorcycle could do that maybe they've never done before. And, and we, we have a place and we've carved out a spot in the industry where we can take any of those people, get trained by the absolute best guys, and there's nothing better than being able to see somebody, especially if they're if they've been an athlete way back in the past. Now they're 40, 50 years old, and they get to see a big improvement in something that they love. You know, their hobby. Not unlike you and I playing golf. Like when we see a, an improvement in our game, it's kind of fun. These guys, because it's such a risky kind of sport, when you can give them more control on a motorcycle, keep them safe, but let. Still, let them see that they're the excitement and the enjoyment, the exhilaration of what their bikes give them. That's a lot of fun for me to be able to do that with people.
0: Tell me about the sport as it result you know, as it relates to danger and safety. And like you mentioned that, and it, it's kind of a thrill. This is something where you can really get hurt. How does someone work through that, or, you know, essentially what mindset do you have to have going into that?
1: Man, you asked that question so much better than anybody I've ever been around, to be honest. I, our sport's always known for. Everybody looks at motorcycle racing and just thinks it's the most dangerous thing in the world. The safety aspect of the sport has increased so much over the last 10, 12 years. The technology in the motorcycles now, a lot of these manufacturers have created uh, electronics packages, if you will, on the bikes to make the bikes safer, easier to ride, more user-friendly. The equipment, though, is where I think we see the big thing. The leathers and things that we wear now all have airbags in them. Uh, I'm with a company called Dane Easy, which is like the leader in, in the world as far as motorcycle equipment safety and things and there's some other great manufacturers out there that do the same but danese was had many firsts along the way over the last 40 or 50 60 years in technology and the air suit is something that is amazing it's it's all gps censored if you were to fall off your bike there's a big air suit that goes off inside your leathers and that's really prevented a lot of bigger injuries going back to the motorcycle technology side of it the the kind of accidents that we used to see were what we call high sides where you're leaned into a corner The rear of the bike comes around, and it snaps you, and it goes, and then you end up high-siding, which means you get ejected into the air. Now, the way the technology on the motorcycles has been, there's a lot of low sides, which aren't as big of crashes. So in a way, everything is improved. Tire technology is improved. Just one thing after another as far as our sport, and and the the danger side of it, I feel, has come down quite a bit.
0: That's interesting. I mean, the the way that technology can kind of, get involved with the sport mm-hmm. and that, you know, you are moving at a high rate of speed, but there's these precautions that help lower the risk of some of those uh, injuries and whatnot. Tell us about your dad. He was in this <laughs> sport as well and had a, had a, a very good career. Reg Pridmore. Yep. Um, tell us about him and what, what it was like, you know, growing up with him as your father.
1: That oh, was the, it was the best. I think that my dad, he was three-time AMA Superbike Champion, which is the highest level you can get here. He was the inaugural when the, when the Superbike Championship started. So I was I was young, obviously, when that was happening. I was seven years old, and I, I grew up, you know, idolizing my dad. Like, he was literally my hero, and... I just wanted to do everything I could to be like him when I was a kid. There was a time there where, you know, in school, I thought I might take the golf route and see how that went, but motorcycling was too in my blood and I think it was just through his interaction with me as a kid. He never forced me into getting into racing. He never forced me into riding. It was just something that naturally I just, I really wanted to do. I always had him as kind of somebody that was, he pushed me, but he didn't push me like, you know, like you see a lot of parents with, with kids and baseball and things, you know, it's, He pushed me enough and realized that the risks of the sport, so he was always there to protect me and make sure I didn't do anything too bad. I think when you take a kid and you can teach them right from the beginning and they don't develop bad habits, I was very fortunate that way. I didn't ever really develop bad habits that you see so many people have now. So having him in my corner was was a definite advantage for me throughout my career. And so, yeah, I'm forever grateful for that.
0: We're speaking with Jason Pridmore, professional motorcycle rider, professional motorcycle racer, now doing training, Uh, jp43training.com is his website. And talking about sports in general, and you're a phenomenal golfer as well, and I I wanna at least mention that. And what what are the correlations between being a high-level, high-end athlete in the sport of racing? And then also how does that correlate or transfer over to another sport that you're phenomenal at with golf?
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny. I appreciate that, that you think I'm phenomenal at golf. It hasn't been so good lately. (laughs) You know, I think probably the biggest question I used to get when I was, when I was racing was how can you play golf and race motorcycles? They seem like they're so far apart and really they're not. When you think about it, a lot of my friends, when I came into the paddock and I started golfing a lot, a lot of people wanted to learn how to play. A lot of my friends that race now play golf, and I'm always, my phone still always buzzes. The mental side of it is is road racing's very reactionary. Um, you can try to make plans the best you can. I used to always try to plan out my races. When you go out for practice sessions on a weekend, things in racing were always somewhat normal. There was always a normality to it to me, because if you were fast, you were fast. Golf is so different because, as you know, you can go out one day and shoot 70. And you can literally go out the next day on the same course, same conditions, and shoot 80. So you kind of get good breaks and bad breaks a little bit more in, in golf. The bad breaks in racing were bad, you know, like really bad. So mentally just trying to stay focused and with golf it's one shot at a time with racing it's a little bit more reactionary but I think golf is fired up as I used to get on the golf course I, I think golf helped me relax a little bit more on the racetrack and learn to take things as they came a little bit and there's a lot of facets to racing a motorcycle that that I'd have to plan for like tires going off or air temperature track temperature these are kind of things that that wear on the body physically Whereas when golf, your mind is obviously your biggest tool and you have to be able to shake certain things off the best you can and keep going forward. So golf really taught me to stay more present where racing was things could change all the time. And uh, I really had to really focus on both mindsets. I played some of my best golf when I was racing still because I would get up in the mornings, I would train all morning, and then for the rest of the day, I'd, I'd practice. And that's really where my, I hone my golf skills. Now that I'm not racing anymore, my golf has actually gotten worse. And I sometimes wonder if that's because I'm maybe not as focused as I used to be. I used to, I used to be able to get up with a plan every morning of focus on my career and then go focus on my hobby. And now I'm, I work all the time in the mornings. And um, if, if my work doesn't quite get done, I don't feel like I should be playing golf. you know. So it's, it's just a different mindset. So Jason, you, I know you're doing a podcast now. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's called Greg's Garage
0: Pod with Jason and Greg, and you guys talk about this sport of motorcycle road racing. Tell us about the podcast. I know that's a newer thing you're doing, but what are some things that you guys talk about and who's this for?
1: Well, Greg White has been a friend of mine for 25 years, and we're, we've you know, we raced together way back in the day and I tease him about that because Greg didn't get to as big a prominence with his racing, so it's fun to jab him a little bit, but, but his knowledge as far as and his respect level in the paddock, um, getting information from teams and riders and team managers and things. We've just, we've been friends for so long and now he's, we've been on TV a lot together over the years. For the last three years with bn sports we've been the the two main guys and um we wanted to do a podcast up to a year ago and and we finally thought thought to ourselves well going into this off season because we both want to grow the moto america championship the best we can we want to see the people that invested in the sport and bought it three or four years ago we want to see them flourish a little bit and get the sport back to where it was we thought it would be a neat thing for us to start the podcast in the hopes that we can attract the the new listeners we can educate them more on what's going on with the series and that, that yeah, our series is getting back to prominence because there was some pretty heavy damage done to the series prior to, to the takeover here three or four years ago. We want to try to help them the best we can, get it back to where it needs to be. And also, I look at it like, Greg and I started this podcast. Where it's not just about stuff that's happening in America. We're, we're pretty privy to the world level also. So MotoGP, which we talked about earlier, and there's another big championship, might called World Superbike that I was able to race for half a year um quite a, quite a while back the idea is we want to get more americans over to europe and, and race for world championships because back in the heyday late 80s early 90s even in the early 80s americans were pretty dominant over in europe and right now we don't have a single rider racing in the MotoGP gp championship and and currently right now going into world superbike next year we don't have an american there either so we want to try our best to try to elevate our sport here so that we can get some more world champions over there over in europe
0: it's great to hear that because I think, you know, that the idea of podcasts and we've talked about this on this show a few times before, but uh, for our listeners, it's it's so neat that, you know, here we have someone that's very high end in this niche area. Well, the mm-hmm. sport of road motorcycle racing, at least in America, it's, it's a niche that's growing in yep. Europe. It's very big. But for people that are interested in that. They have a place they can go to gather more information about it at a deeper level. Yeah. And I think that's the beautiful thing about podcasting. And I think where some of this online stuff is going is you can curate the information that you're excited about. It's very cool and exciting to hear that you're doing this podcast. And, and I hope that grows. People can look it up online at Greg's Garage Pod with Jason and Greg. And, uh, and that that is uh, one thing that I think is going to be very cool. So, Jason, w- what are some other things that we can talk about relating to the sport of motorcycle racing? What are some pe- things people don't know about? You know that, that maybe they haven't discovered yet with regards to, to motorcycle racing.
1: I, you know, the big thing is is you you kind of touched on it earlier. It's definitely gotten a lot safer. There's you know everybody asks me even at the club you know up at Spanish that people will say you know have you ever done the Isle of Man? Everybody knows what the Isle of Man is. It's a it's a race off the coast of England, little little island called the Isle of Man. And it's historic for so many reasons, but it's a 37.2-mile road course that they actually race on the streets. So imagine closing the streets off in Ventura and having a big street race. It's super, really, really dangerous. And unfortunately, we, they, they do lose some lives over there, but it gets in your blood. These guys that do it, everybody thinks that they're crazy. They're not crazy. It's just it's something that it's it gets in your blood and you want to go do. And, and really from that point. I'm educating people, because everybody watches the Isle of Man. It's on, it's, uh, they do a great job covering it. I think it's on the velocity, but from that point, I try to get people to realize that there's so many other facets to this. It's not just a bunch of crazy guys getting together and racing on some track and trying to hurt themselves. I mean, that's the biggest thing that we had to get away from, the typecasting of why it is that we do it. You turn a TV on on the weekend, NFL, you see guys get hurt all the time, unfortunately. In our sport, I think the safety aspect of it, it's growing. It's it's one of the coolest sports to watch for me because when you can get a machine to be going through corners at 130, 150 mile an hour, um, and now I mean overseas MotoGP bikes even here they're they're going in excess of 200 mile an hour at some of these tracks. And you watch the control that the riders have, and they're I mean these guys are 24/7 athletes. That's what they are. And and I think if people take the time to sit down and actually watch the sport and see where it does, see what it's all about, the growth will continue with it. And you know I think the safety aspect of it is neat too because it what it's done is it's, it's it's made it to where guys can stay in the sport longer i mean i just turned 49 i ride all the time still i'm always on a bike and i'm blown away now how much easier the bikes are to ride than they were even 10 years ago 15 years ago when i was racing still because the technology has come so far that it's it's made it to where guys at 38 39 40 41 are still racing at a very very high level so it's allowed the longevity of your careers to go on further the better the equipment and bikes and things have gotten
0: I've watched a few races on television and it looks extremely fun, Mm -hmm. but it also does look like wildly dangerous, mm-hmm. and that, to that end, while you're kind of leaning into a turn, and then yep. you're because it's not a circle track. No, right? no, it's, no. You know, so there's a lot of turns that you, where you're going back and forth. So, could someone, let's just say someone like myself, mm-hmm. not that I would wa- ever want to race, yep, but that it w- seems like it would be a lot of fun to experience or to try. Sure. Like, what what would someone like myself thinking about that? What what would you say? How could I have that experience? You know, it's
1: it's such a neat question because I get this. Uh, quite a bit of dads that are having that their son that is 10, 12, what do I gotta do with him? How do I get him started? It really starts with the bike that you start with first. I think that living in America, we're so lucky to have the freedoms that we have, but some of our laws need to change because a 16 year old kid that can walk into any motorcycle dealership and buy the biggest, baddest, fastest bike that they can, if they can afford it. To me, there's something kind of wrong with that. It's like trying to teach somebody to shoot an Uzi as their first gun, you know, start small. Get on something that doesn't intimidate you and learn. And if you have somebody that, that can help you, obviously, with a little bit of experience. But I always get these kids to start in the dirt on something small they can get their feet on. And if you're an adult that wants to do it, that the rules kind of still apply. It's like start on something small, get the basics and the fundamentals down. From that point, being able to, to go out to a track for me has always been the safest thing I've taught a lot of military and it took me a long time to get the powers that be in the military to understand that I wanna treat these, I want to train guys at racetracks because unfortunately we're not losing our, our Marines and we're not losing our military guys doing 10 and 12 mile an hour parking lot drills. We're losing it when they're going 70, 80, 90 mile an hour and we can tell them not to all we want, but they're still gonna do it. So my goal was I need to teach them the control. How do you control your bike at that level? What what are the some of the steps that you can learn? and we noticed that the, the death rates and everything else went completely down. Like everything was, for the four years I was with the Marines, we didn't have any deaths, it was, it was great. These guys didn't make sense to me that these guys were getting deployed and coming back from wherever they were and killing themselves on motorcycles. I know I got off topic a little bit, but, but when you wanna learn, it's, it's a matter of getting on the right bike, Checking your ego a little bit. These bikes will give you a false sense of security and then bite you pretty quick. If you check your ego a little bit, learn the right fundamentals, you would be fine. And you you, you still get to ride at a fun level. Yeah, I think
0: you touch on something extremely important, though, because that's the thing. I think as a young man growing up, you're invincible. Mm -hmm. You could nothing. You're smarter. You know, there's an edge. You're going to get it. You're not going to make the mistake you see the other guy make. You're just going to be smarter and better, and it's not going to hit you. Yep. But then when you get some experience on something that is bigger than you, Mm -hmm. and I think you touch on it a little bit, though. You almost have to play with that line a little bit, but play in the confines of having some safety and not where you're really going to likely kill yourself. But to have the the ability to play and say, hey, dude, here's the line. Go play. Like, try this. It's not going to work for you, but you'll experience some limitations that you should know about that you're really having a false sense of security about right now. I mean, that's what it seems like you're describing a little bit that some of these people
1: need. I think it's fascinating. Well, it goes without saying that if you look at our sport specifically, every athlete has an ego. Every one of us have, you know, if you want to be the best, you've got to start thinking that you're the best. And it goes throughout all sports. You know, some of the best athletes have big egos. What's really funny about road racing is that there's a respect level to your competitors and there's a respect level to the motorcycle that really catches you a little bit because you realize, and I was the same guy, there were days where I just felt invincible. Nothing was going to happen to me. And next thing you know, I'm laying on the side of the track going, okay, I got to check myself a little bit. When I get somebody that thinks that they're a tremendous motorcycle racer that does this as a hobby or a rider, not even a racer, just a a rider. When I get somebody that, that feels that way and I can see them going down a bad path, those are the ones I want to get to the quickest because it's I want to encourage them and say, hey, everything looks really good. You're doing OK. But there's a couple things things that I see here that could harm you. When I get somebody that really listens to that, they excel. When I get somebody that that wants to keep going down that path, I almost have to close my eyes a little bit because I know what's coming. The hardest part of my job right now is I'm training these kids or I'm training individuals and I know the risks. And I know that that if you do it for long enough, you're going to fall. That's, that's part of it play basketball long enough if you're going to sprain your ankle, right? So you just know that if you do things more, but my job for me, especially like if I had somebody like you that was, that was learning would be let's give him all the right steps along the way. Let's keep, make sure that he realizes that that risk is still there, but we're learning some new things and we're advancing fast, but just being, it's a mindset. You have to be able to tell yourself, I'm still on a bike that produces a ton of horsepower that can still jump up and get me if I do the wrong thing. And when you get that kind of mindset checked a little bit, um the sports actually it's phenomenal there's nothing better to me than than riding still i still love it like i did first time i swung a leg over a bike and i'm always worried about these kids i'm training pulling away from me and getting faster than me so it motivates me to to keep practicing and evolve with all the other things that have evolve, evolved in our sport
0: we're speaking with jason pridmore you can go to his website and learn more it's jp43training.com also twitter at jp43 and instagram pridmore43 talking about motorcycle road racing in america and in the world a very growing sport jason thank you for being our
1: guest today appreciate your time my pleasure i'm glad we finally got to do this and uh, you know we see each other all the time so thanks for having me today and uh yeah thanks, thanks again for everything
0: Now, it's time for the Nonprofit Spotlight with your host, Michael Anderson, on Big Money in the 805. Today's Nonprofit Spotlight is brought to you by Era Energy, powered by safety, innovation, and community. We help keep California moving forward. Well, it's been a wild week in California. There's been a tremendous amount of things going on. These fires, the California wildfires, the shooting, there's been a lot going on. And organizations like 805 HELP are remarkable. They help connect people and bring solutions to to problems where there's chaos. So 805-HELP started a year ago through this Thomas fire, and uh, now we're seeing it help in other situations. They've been doing a lot of great work in our community recently, and I think it's something that they're looking to help as other natural disasters or events take place. They've set up a way to orchestrate helping connect people and using online resources to connect need with people that have help to offer. It's been quite remarkable. Something as simple as having activities during the day for these families in homes where they've been evacuated from because of the fire, and they're providing some activities at the sports academy to try and help give them something to do during the day because schools are closed and people are evacuated. Well, what do you do? It's Kids, best thing you can do is just have them play and kind of experience some joy in that and maybe take their mind off of some of the crazy, chaotic events that are taking place. But little things or big things, they've been great. And I've been very impressed with seeing this organization,
2: 805-HELP. Their website, you can look that up, is 805help.org. Very interesting. It is important that we get together. And part of the healing is getting back to normal activities. And part of the healing is to try to do the day-to-day things. Uh, we're used to fires, even though they're absolutely devastating. And the Thomas fire into the Wolseley fire have caused a lot of grief and a lot of problems for people with their houses. But the shooting was different for Thousand Oaks in Ventura County. It was such a a stunner for the country and for Thousand Oaks. What you said is, is so true, getting people back in the flow, especially the kids, reassuring them, having the conversation and connecting everything people need from monetary help to psychological help, housing, food, whatever it is to heal. That's why it's great to have the umbrella over all of Ventura County. It's such, such a huge uh, asset to us, and I admire them for for what they've done over this year and what they're doing now.
0: And it is interesting to think about, you know, I've had numerous friends that were evacuated from their homes through this fire and devastation, and you you almost don't know how to help. You kind of want to offer some help, but you don't know how. And you're almost seeking this way to try and support some of the needs that's there for your friends or for others. Sometimes it's hard to know what to do. And it's just neat that there is a, a way of people being able to orchestrate a way, a channel, a pathway to help, even if it's not directly your friends you're helping, but it's offering some help. And there's a lot of interesting things there psychologically around the help that's needed, You know, sometimes they're overwhelmed and they don't know even know what to ask for or how to
2: ask. And there's a lot of tricky things that go on with disasters like this. And And there's a chaos of generosity, too, where you end up with 50 pallets of water, 300 tubes of toothpaste, everything generous and trying to help. But it's when you have these agencies we can go through that, you know, and trust. They say, this is what we need. Find out and fill that need. And that's really important because as much as people want to help, we had a blood drive, and there's more blood drives happening. That's a great way to help because that need is always there. And the normal uh, donation campaign and the regular donors, some of them are put out because of this disaster and because of the injury to the community. Other people get the flu. They go on vacation. So there's certain things we need to do and ways you can help from giving a pint of blood. to It's time, talent, treasures. We all know that. And uh, there's so many ways to help. So how do we connect with this organization directly?
0: The best thing to do, you can look up this organization. It's 805help.org. That's 805help.org. Or on Facebook, it's also 805help. Thank you to all the good work you've been doing. Appreciate seeing that and keep that up. And that does it for our show, The Big Idea Show. Thanks for listening. Special thanks to the team at Boyd & Associates for providing home security to Southern California and Greg Mock from GEICO Local Office. If you have questions about the show or questions about your financial matters, you can always contact me directly at maranatha.com. That's M-A-R-A-N-A-N-T-H-A acom Thanks for listening. Have a great week and join us again next time.
2: question if your investments are right for you? Do you own any annuities, retirement accounts, or have other money you want help with? Have you ever wondered what your advisor is making or how they get paid? Get a free second opinion. Talk with Michael Anderson, Certified Financial Planner. Call his answering service today, 805-665-3767. Leave a message and get a call back immediately. 805-665-3767.